Church. My name is Jim. I'm an elder here. Hello, old man Dennis. As a church, our mission is to help people become and grow into mature disciples of Jesus Christ. We believe a disciple should seek God, belong to community, and serve the world. Seek, belong, and serve. We welcome any guests who are here with us today, whether in person or online. If this is your first time here physically, we'd like to give you an Oasis coffee mug as a gift. If this is your first time joining us online, please let us know by filling out the connection card in the Connect With Us tab on our website, celebratethejourney.org. For those of you who are here, you can find the connection cards on the center back table. We don't ask for this information to pester you too much, but to provide you with some information about who Oasis is in order to help you decide if this is where you, God wants you to attend. If you have any questions before you leave today, just ask anyone. If they don't know the answer, they'll point you to somebody who does. The connection cards can also be used to sign up for our weekly email reminder and a link to the newsletter. Or you can text the keyword newsletter to the number on the screen behind me. The email is the best, the newsletter is the best way to keep up to date on all that's going on at Oasis. There's a prayer box on the back table on the right under the lamp. If you have any prayer requests that you don't feel comfortable about, comfortable about speaking to somebody about, you can write it on there. You can keep it as anonymous as you'd like or give us as much personal information as you want. If you want somebody to pray with you, put your name and a contact number and check the box saying, I want somebody to contact me, and somebody will call you and pray with you over the phone. We have a small team of dedicated prayer warriors who will pray over those during the week. For those of you who are online, we have a prayer page on our website. And if you, un unless otherwise noted, everything written in this prayer request will be held in the strictest of confidence. If you need prayer today, there will be both men and women available after the service up by the cross. And if God has spoken to you today about something you've heard in the sermon, or if you want or need prayer for something else, all are welcome to pray with one of the people up front. We gather together for community prayer on the first Tuesday of every month at 7 p.m. right here in the sanctuary. This is an opportunity to build community as well as experience the power and presence of God together. Our next community prayer is April 6th. We believe supporting the local church through the giving of tithes and offerings are biblical truths, whether you're here in the sanctuary or sitting at home. If you are here, we have what we call the joy box on the sidewall by the double doors. You can place your tithes and offerings in there. If you are at home, you can email or you can mail your tithes and offerings to the church office. The address is on our website or go to the Give tab on our website and set up a one-time or recurring offering amount. The online Bible study of the month from Right Now Media is Easter series. Also, a week from, two weeks from today is Palm Sunday, March 28th. It's also going to be a time that we're going to dedicate to the memory of Robin Freeman one of our own who passed from cancer. 
Um, her daughter will be able to be here, and we just uh, encourage you all to attend for Palm Sunday and for Robin's memorial. And then the following week would be Easter. We're having baptisms on Easter. If you haven't contacted Dennis about that, whether you want to be baptized, do so. Um, I believe next week there's a meeting after church for those who want to be baptized. That's all I got, so here's Dennis. Thank you, Jim. Good morning, everyone. So, um, I'm going to bring this Sermon on the Mount thing to a close today. Uh, We covered a lot of stuff, kingdom stuff that Jesus kind of presents and raises the bar. Uh, We've kind of gone through a little bit of um, the prayer of our Father. The next couple of lines are give us a bit of bread and forgive us. Those are pretty straightforward that we would rely on God even for just our sins. And that God would forgive us of our sin as we forgive those who sin against us, that uh, we wouldn't hold a grudge. Um, but there's, there's so much more in those three chapters. Uh, Jesus takes the bar of the law and he raises it. And he says, you know, you've heard it said that, you know, don't murder, but I tell you, don't even call your brother a fool. And so, so he raises the bar. He raises um, what kingdom life looks like in the person who's following Jesus. And at the end of the sermon, uh, at the end of chapter 7, Jesus kind of dishes out this warning. And it's a pretty profound warning. And this is not an e- this is not easy uh, verses to teach to, to preach on. First of all, because of the conviction that I had um, preparing, and then it's just not easy to hear the things that I have to say uh, this morning. Um, because I'll start out this way. Uh, sadly, it is very easy in today's society to be labeled Christian without ever being born again. You can fool people and you can fool yourself 
thinking that you're Christian, and yet you lack salvation, lack eternal life. The process is very cultural because uh, Christianity has become a, a bit cultural. And so if you can just, uh, if, if you can display the Christian cultural norms in your life, you can fool yourself and you can fool everyone around you. Let me, let me give you some examples. First, I think that you have to get down in order to start fooling people is the Christian lingo. You gotta get the Christian lead down. You gotta know the right words to say, when to say them, how to use the inflection in your voice. You know, we use words like you know, fellowship and brother and sister and, and, and all these Christian words. And then if you get into the theological stuff like atonement and propitiation, you start throwing those words around. People are gonna be like, yeah, he's like sitting right there. But you know, there's a story in the Bible Judges chapter 12, and the, uh, the Gileadites are fighting against the Ephraimites, and uh, they look like they're the same people, but their language is a little different. The, uh, the Ephraimites, they can't say the sh sound. And the uh, Gileadites, they're just going to say the G's and the E's. And the G's can say that sound. And so there was this password that, that they came up with, with Shibboleth. And if they said it, that was the password. And if they said it and the answer was Shibboleth, they can't say the S-H, they knew that that was the enemy and they were to kill that person. They had their own little code word and it, it worked really well on a very unsuspecting army. Read Judges chapter 12. We Christians have the same thing. We do the same thing. We use our Christian these words in the context of our community. We don't visit with each other. We have fellowship with each other. We, we worship. We don't sing songs. And so if you can get the lingo down, you can start fooling people. You can fool yourself. Then I think if you could if you can copy certain or at least agree with certain cultural norms within the church, I think you can really fool people. Like like it, it helps to to have that very uh, Christian conservative attitude about alcohol and tobacco and maybe even the casino. You shouldn't go there. Um, if you maintain the same ideas or, or the same rules about modesty and dress, um, you, can, you can start fooling people. I mean, if, if you can if you can demonstrate the same likes and dislikes, kind of like the cultural Christian stuff, the same likes and dislikes, especially the dislikes. If you can get the dislikes down, you can fool everyone. And if you can you can have a face of, of gracious disdain. When you hear it, oh, did you hear the Smiths went to the casino? Oh, that's gracious disdain. You see that? I, I look perplexed, and inside I'm going, I wonder if they won. But I wouldn't say that out loud. Because that's that gracious disdain. And so if I can just, 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 just be part of that culture, 
think the, the last part that you can get comfortable without being so used to this Christian heritage. Like if your mom and dad were respectable Christians in the church. Or even worse, you're a PK in the church. You're saved, it doesn't matter. Sometimes we rely on that heritage. And if you can reflect back a little bit of that godly heritage of your parents, like if you show up to the midweek prayer service, you can just come to your parents. You might And so there are many, many ways that we can prove and to believe in that we follow Jesus and that Christ is our God. In fact, no, I think there's even some well-meaning parents that force kids into a profession of faith because that's what you're supposed to do. And the kid's heart is far from, far from God. And so as I was kind of just fleshing this out in my brain and thinking through this, I came to this thought and, and I thought, you know, there are people sitting in churches this morning in the United States that if God demanded from them their life while they were sitting in church that they will spend eternity in hell. It's possible. Just because you're attending church and you got the lingo and you got the heritage and, and you, you dress with the eternal neck doesn't mean Now, maybe some of you are thinking define for us Oh, bald one, Christian. Okay, I can do that. I have it written here. My description or definition of a Christian is a person who believes the Bible is the inspired word of God and is infallible in its original language. The Christian believes that Jesus came to die for our sins, and it is by only faith in his death and resurrection that we can be made right with God or in his substitutionary atonement. Aha! I'm saved. Our salvation comes only by God's grace through faith, not in any good works we may try to muster up. The Christian believes in a literal heaven and a literal hell, and that all people will be in one place or another eventually. So then I was thinking, well, why in the world would anybody want to like live as a Christian and be far from Jesus or, or not give Jesus their hearts. Just live in life. Why enter the narrow gate if you have no intention of giving your life to Christ? And I think for some it's just a path of You want to just keep those relationships comfortable and intact and it's just easier to go through the motions and let people think or you're allowing yourself to go through the motions, believing that you're okay, and you just may not be okay. And then there's the statistical evidence that families that live within biblical principles can be happier and healthier and stay together longer. Just get that biblical morality, the biblical ethics. And so it, it's not surprising that Christianity can be attracted as a way to live you know, with, with conservative values. 
it can attract people to it. And yet those people may never know the inner reality of the transformation policy. I have known many of them solid, pure people. Generations of people loving each other. It's just a gift that you get planted. It's just good, solid, and that live by kind of conservative principles. I'm talking biblical conservative principles. And yet, they want to be beautiful. Maybe that Christmas will be for the wedding. But they're missing. Sounds like it starts to sound like it just may be a very good idea. Or I, I yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I, I check box A, B, and C, and so that makes me fine. And yet I wonder, as I was preparing this morning, um, how many people are sitting in the church that are not covered by the marriage and not qualified And you think they are. Right? Like, I can't make that determination of judgment on someone else. But you can look inside. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 30, he wrote that there are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their blood. John Newton, who was considered the father of evangelicalism, said, and I quote, If I ever reach heaven, I expect to find three wonders. First, to meet some I had not thought to see there. Second, to miss some I had expected to see there. And third, the greatest wonder of all, to find my place. Jesus knows the path that we walk in this world and in the Almost like you anticipate the possibility of a fall of affection. He doesn't want us to fight that. He doesn't want us to get lost in some, some fake, phony, communal expression of religious activity. Because there's something much, much and he's going to warn us. And basically, there's two warnings. He says, Church, be careful basing your salvation on your experience. Church, be careful basing your salvation on your lifestyle. Because those two things do not necessarily mean that you are I know it took us a long time to get to where we're going, but let's get going into Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 22. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? Did you do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, 
and never be I've always been intrigued by this person because it makes me a bit nervous. These people, they're, 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 they're doing some pretty cool things. They're casting out demons. They're prophesying and they're doing mighty works, which means they're, they're performing miracles in the name of Jesus. And these people at the day of judgment will be rejected by Christ himself. Are you, are you, are you catching that? Driving out. Anybody here cast out demons this morning? Yesterday? This year? I mean, these are, these are like serious things. This isn't the gift of hospitality. This is exorcism. These people will be Rejected by God in the John Stott, the old dead theologian guy, he said, and when he writes about this, he said, These people are all in. These people that are going to be rejected. They say they, they recognize Jesus as Lord. And, and, and it's not only a sign of respect, but, but a showing of, or uh, an acknowledging of his divinity. And they're passionate about it. They say, Christ, Lord. Lord, didn't didn't we do this? They make this proclamation, this, this public proclamation of what they're doing in public in the name of Jesus. They're all in, it would seem. And so what could possibly be wrong with it? Well, nothing is really wrong with it. Casting out demons, good thing, prophesying, good thing, mighty miracles in the name of Jesus. Those are all good things, but they're here. Wrong assumption being made on behalf of these people. And that is, theology will not do Theology will not give you eternal life. I'm not saying that, that, that you shouldn't believe correctly or have good orthodoxy. Those things are very important. Yes. And, and, and believing the right thing is important. Yes. This is the way. It says Romans, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So we, we have this foundation here. The person who refuses to proclaim Lord, Lord, will probably not enter the kingdom of heaven. One author said it this way. He said, all true Christians will proclaim Lord, Lord, but not all who proclaim that. Intellectual theology of pursuit of Jesus doesn't indicate or doesn't seal the deal of your salvation. You can absolutely believe in all of the correct things about the character and the nature of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. You can believe correctly about atonement and eschatology and all of the all of the stuff, and yet still not be saved. Even even having a, a passion or a zeal is not going to save us. I, uh, when I first became a Christian, I got into prison ministry. Um, 
excuse me, not just from this side. And uh, it was right over at, at Manson Youth Institute, uh, over there. And uh, I would go once a week, and I'd have a Bible study call. And I've also been invited to chat with people who have been arrested in these prisons. You know, you have to get on the list, you have to go, you have to do these questions, you have to do these questions, and then you get to go see them. But what I have found is the people that I have spoken to, the vast majority of the people that I have spoken to in prison, they all love Jesus. And they're all going to Bible study. And when they get out, everything's going to change. It's going to be different. I'm telling you, I'm going to be at church. And, and Jesus is my life. And, and, and they're saying this in the orange jumpsuit. And, and, and it's going to, I'm telling you, it's going to be different. And then Freedom Day comes, and it might take So that passion that they had, everything is going to be fixed. Jesus is going to save me once they get out. And so it's, it, I mean, you can get all fired up and passionate about it, and, and I mean, that's a good thing, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're saved. And the stickler for me in, in this really it's, it's what these people are doing in the name of Jesus. Prophesy in the name of Jesus. It doesn't mean a person has eternal life. A passionate declaration of spiritual truth doesn't mean you have um, eternal life. Even, even a pastor preaching his heart out, getting people moved, like, and, and, and the pastor's in tears and he's passionate about it, doesn't necessarily mean that pastor is saved. Lord, Lord, we prophesy, we cast out demons, we do mighty works. You know, if you let yourself kind of linger in there for a little bit while, for a little while, it should cause a little tension in your spirit. Because Jesus doesn't want us to miss the point of the sermon. So you have to think, is it really possible for somebody to cast out demons and not do anything about it? Well, yes. But is it possible to be a miracle in the name of Jesus and still not be part of the kingdom of God? Yes. In fact, here's how Jesus put it in Matthew 24. False Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders. As to lead astray, if possible, even to the left. Then Thessalonians. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of the coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. So it means that a person can do really cool things, have a great result in ministry and in church worlds, and not be part of the kingdom of heaven. Not have salvation. You know, when it comes to signs and wonders, as John now would say, there's a lot of fruits, flakes, and nuts out there, and we have to be careful. But also, just because somebody invokes the name of Jesus, doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus 
God. Satan has the power to do what he wants. And there's two factors dying. Becoming in the law of man, he's by the expectation of his all power and salt. Jesus, to get to the point of your theology, passion, miracles, really a big thing. Look at the beginning of verse 22. On that day, many Many This is not just one or two people that have gotten it wrong. Many will say to the Lord, Lord, all of these things, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna say to them, I never knew you. Apart from people who called themselves Christians, people who thought they believed that they were in the grace of God, will stand before them. There is grace to all this. And that grace is in verse 21, second half of verse 21. But the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, the one who does the will of my Father, this is the one that will be This is the one that will grow salvation. This is the one that is part of it would seem that these people who are doing the miraculous do not know the will of God. Not salvation by works, but it's about the transformative power of the Holy Spirit being alive and well in the heart, in the spirit. It's the grace of God taking over, healing, and empowering. Now remember, Jesus is speaking in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. So the will of the Father that he's referring to is the kingdom life that he has just described. That the will of God is to live into this, this manifestation of the kingdom. It's, it's, a, it's a deep, from the heart obedience to what God calls us to each and every day of our life. That we would live in uh, a profound obedience, maybe, to the word of God. So this is where the work comes in for us. Kind of that difficult to think my inner self and look into that ugliness. But we don't look at the results of our life. We don't look at how many Bible verses we've memorized, or even how many demons have cast out. But we ask ourselves that question, in my life, the way I'm living my life, Am I growing stronger every day? Am I holy spirit? Do I have a mercy spirit? My compassion is always there. Do I have a spirit of the devil? Do I 
building our lives on that rock each and every day and the storms of life come and we'll feel with you where we have our life. Did you ever feel on the rock and keep fighting you to become more and more like you? Or is just on shipping things and you just want everything to kind of look nice and go through the motions but inside Are you in a relationship with Jesus? Just writing in a picture of what your mom and dad and dad are Christian. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Evidence in your life love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Thank you. 